What up, Sean? <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to live my best life around here. I'm limp. I'm limping around. You're limping around. What happened? You know, I got these stem cell therapy on Friday, and it flared up a little bit afterwards. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. But you know, I mean, you know, I'm living. I'm fine. I'll be fine. I can tell. I mean, that's definitely the vibe that you give off is uh, just you're happy to be here living your best life. That's I think that's part of why I was so inclined to have you on the podcast, because, you know, the way that you speak about your story is that's what we need, I think, to be able to normalize these conversations and make it easier for people to talk about. We have to show that you can talk about it in a way that makes people feel OK. Yeah, man, I'm I am just as excited to talk to you today. I just remember a couple of years, not a couple of years ago. I don't know. How, the pandemic has been so long. I don't know how time long works, I've man. known you, meaning I don't remember the first time I saw your face and that <laughs> awesome smile, by the way. I appreciate um, that. But, you know, it's so interesting that I just, I don't know. I just kind of had this like feeling of trying to push through. And so I tell my story through that feeling, you know. Yeah, man. These things affect us in such different ways. But as long as we're doing something and not just burying the emotions, whether that's, exactly. you know, therapy or just talking to friends about it, the, uh, we got to we got to shed light on these issues. And, you know, can only imagine how many people you've helped by being open about your story. And uh, it's really cool. And it's great to finally meet you. I uh, know. It's so cool. Wait, we're, first of all, before we get dive in, yeah. where are you right now? I'm in Venice, California. Where are you at? I'm always there, man. That's so crazy. Hit me up. I know. Now I will. Yeah. Um, I live in Arizona, like the Phoenix area, like Phoenix proper. It's a different life than what I had when I was younger. I lived in LA, lived in New York. I'm from Jersey, but my husband and I found our way here in Arizona. And, but it's also, it's actually really great. It's really great for the kids. We have four-year-old twins. So it's just like, and it's cheaper than the coasts. I can only imagine. Things change, your priorities change, and then you find a place that suits those priorities. So it sounds yeah, like you're man. in the perfect spot for where you're at in your life right now. I am. I wasn't always in a perfect spot, even though I think that that's kind of not really good to say because I feel like I know it's so cliche when people say, you know, we've been through things and you're supposed to go through things. But I always feel like at the time, it doesn't feel like the perfect spot, but in the future, you you wouldn't have that growth if you weren't in that spot. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It's kind of like, I think a lot of times, especially the things you talk about now on TikTok and social media and stuff is, this is going to sound weird, but I think like this is it, this is what is right now. Like this is this is it. This is it. So, it's, you know, we can't really blame the past. We can't can't really rely on the past or like, oh my gosh, that wasn't a perfect time in my life because you're only doing it one time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, it doesn't sound weird at all, my friend. It sounds <laughs> exactly like what's going on. And, you know, when we were in, quote unquote, the past, that was now. It always has been and it always will be. And the quicker that we can tune into that, the more enjoyable of a life we'll have because we're not wrapped up in what could have been and what might be. It's just here is what it is. And the the 
less resistance we have to that, the more whole I think we feel. You must be a meditator. I assume you do meditation. Oh, it's funny. <clears throat> a lot of people take time to like go sit over there to meditate. And my meditation is complete daydream. And it happens multiple times throughout the day. I'm constantly letting the clouds go by, except when I'm planning something, if a, if a cloud goes by and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Then I'll grab it and I'll take it. I don't have my, I have a notebook somewhere around here, but like, you know, I just start writing things down and it's, it's so weird. So my meditation happens in that way. Uh, but I also, I have a, a group online called the unity community and every Saturday I lead a meditation for them. And it's actually done via video, which is a little different than most is more just sound outside people who don't meditate might think, you know, why am I going to sit into a corner and, and whatever, just like people who don't do yoga, they're like, why are you going, <laughs> you yeah. know, they don't understand the process of everything that happens, you know? So yes, I do. And if I don't, I am a hot mess. That's what I'll say. <laughs> That's what it is now, man. I feel the same way. I mean, it's like meditation has become the most important thing uh, of every day that I have. And it's so essential. And I, it makes a lot of sense. That's the vibe. I mean, I know we've been following each other for a while, but just talking to you for five minutes here, I'm like, this guy totally meditates. <laughs> I, I feel the same way where it's not really all about like just sitting down and closing your eyes and being quiet. I mean, ideally, you're meditating all the time because all that is mm -hmm. is tuning into the present moment which we were just talking about so any way that you can do that you know it's it's great yeah and i'm i'm a wild person like i'm very wild <laughs> even at 43 years old i'm like i'm like sean are you still in high school like because <laughs> i'm so wild i have that youthful energy right now i'm kind of interested i can't really move in and twerk like I want to <laughs> even though I think I am going to put up a TikTok TikTok today because I can really only use one butt cheek so I might pop it but um that's what I'm saying like I'm so wild that there has to be that yin yang thing in my personality because I'm also extremely emotional so mm -hmm. and I know that about myself so I have to kind of balance that out with something totally well, listen, man, I, I am so grateful for your time here. And um, do you have any questions before we get started? No, I'm ready, man. I feel like I know you so well, so it's fine. And, you know, and I know we're doing my podcast after this, so I won't, I won't go into the things that I have to ask you. I'll, I'll, I'll be selfish and, and tell my story right now. <laughs> sure. But hey, no, feel free to go with the flow, too. If you have a question, don't hesitate to ask. I'm a completely open book. Once people find out that you got molested, it's like, what else are you going to find out about me? You know, know, it's like, it's all good. Sean, thank you so much for being here. What happened to you? Man, I was about seven and a half, eight years old. And my stepfather was like hey you know we're gonna have a movie night in the basement to my cousin and I and I was like oh crap like I feel so important because at the time my mother's sister lived with us she had three kids my brother and I were there so it was this house full of people and we got lucky to have a movie night and you know as a young kid you feel so special <clears throat> you feel so special and you feel like 
oh, wow, like I'm the important kid. And every kid wants time with a parent alone, even though they don't know it. When you do get that time alone, you feel really great. So we go in the basement and it's 1986. I want to give people some. Sure. <laughs> it's not, we're not going down to a flat screen TV and like a popcorn machine that like deliver. It's not the Jetsons. It's 1986. <laughs> so um, we get downstairs and we're watching a movie and it's great. I don't remember what movie we were watching, but it was at the time we didn't have cable. So we were watching movies on television and they had commercials. And so the first commercial that came on, my stepfather said to my cousin, he was like, hey, can you run up to the kitchen to get us some snacks? And in my head, I'm like, well, thank God I don't got to run up to the kitchen to get snacks because I'm chilling on the couch. You know, I'm just living my best life. Yeah. So as soon as my cousin gets up the steps, my father-in-law stands up and turns off the light and he whispers in my ear, have you ever French kissed someone? And I was like, no, this is a little odd, you know, but this is somebody that I really trust. I think that I think the world of them basically because they're a parent, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, no, oddly enough, I knew what that meant um, because, you know, TV and everything. So he proceeded to French kiss me. And I was just like, okay, that was interesting. I wasn't scared or taken aback or anything like that. You know, it was just kind of like, wow, that was interesting. I don't even know if, I, if it was a defense mechanism at the time to be like, oh my gosh, this shouldn't happen. Because soon enough, my cousin opened the door at the top of the steps and turned on the light because he saw the light was off. So he just naturally turned on the light, came back downstairs, and we proceeded to watch the movie again and then i want to say it was probably three or four commercial breaks later which is you know commercials happen every 15 minutes or so at least back then mm -hmm. and so the commercial com comes on my cousin has to go up and get something else and so the second time he wanted to french kiss again and this is when i started to be like well this is kind of weird because I had time to like process it a little bit. And I was like, well, I think this is something he does with my mom. So why is he doing it to me? Right. You know, it was just like really odd at that point. And so my cousin comes back down, you know, same thing. A few commercial breaks later, my cousin gets sent back upstairs to the kitchen. And so this time, I don't know why it took my cousin so long. Maybe he was just kind of like, not really wanting to be at the movie night or maybe he was just taking a long time to get the stuff or there were people upstairs because it was just busy in my house mm -hmm. and um my stepfather was like lay me down on the couch on my stomach and he was like um i don't remember exactly what he said or asked i just remember him trying to put his penis in my butt it was like, I don't remember taking my pants down. I don't remember any of that. I just remember being like, this is so odd. And I remember clenching my butt cheeks so tight because I was just like, this is, cr at this point, it was just crazy. <laughs> That's the real defense mechanism, for sure. <laughs> right. You know, it was just like, 
this is fucked up. Yeah. And now I want to tell your listeners, I can talk about this now and I'm completely fine. Before I used to tell this story and be bawling my eyes out. Now I'm just kind of like, this is fucked up, bitch. Totally. So it was just like so wild. So I just remember from that point on being like, this is weird. And that was the last thing that happened that night. And it was the first time I actually noticed in a case in the basement on what was kind of like a coffee table. It was a case and inside the case, it was a glass case and inside the case was a wooden sculpture of a penis. And so I, so then I just kind of got all kinds of freaked out because then things not necessarily started to make sense, but it was just kind of like, okay, this is weird. And then I've realized that we were also in a place where my brother and I found the Playboy magazines and they were, you know, so it was just, it just became now a sexual dungeon to me and not the basement anymore, you know? Absolutely. So then I was like, okay, so that happened. I didn't say anything. I didn't tell anyone. I just kind of moved on about my life really. And shortly after that, a pattern began And the pattern was of such that I would be asleep in my room in the middle of the night. My stepfather, who I call my step monster in my book. So if people have read my book, I call my step monster. Um, He would come home late at night. He was an alcoholic. So he definitely was drinking and driving. He would come in the house. He would go to my mom's bedroom or he in my mom's bedroom, start a fight because their bedroom was right under my bedroom. So I would hear them arguing. He would storm off, storm up the stairs, open the bathroom door, turn on the light and the exhaust fan, close the door, come in my room, start rubbing me on my butt. That's how he think he woke me up, even though I was awake. Mm -hmm. And he would do that for a little bit. And then he would flip me on my back and he would perform oral sex on me. And then he would leave. And this happened, I can't even count how many times this happened. It just was like so wild that I just, I don't know if I became numb to the molestation, but I did do something in my mind where I had to, in a way, say this, I had to make a reason why this was okay, if that makes sense. That's what it is, exactly. The justification and that's part of the defense mechanism is it's like if i can find a way to make this not seem weird in my head then it's not weird and i can just go on with my life and the last thing you want to do is talk with your family members especially you know your mom about how her husband or your, your step step monster is making out with you and all these other things it's this is these are the kid defense mechanisms i know what you mean exactly so my biggest defense mechanism was I made it okay because I said, well, as long as he doesn't keep arguing with my mom and he's going to come upstairs, then I'm like, okay, I'm the family savior. You know, like he's not going to argue with my mom. He's not going to do it to my brother. You know, I'm, I'm the king, you know? So that went on for a very long time. And then I have to tell you another story. The only time it happened during the day was I had a science project due at school and there was this place called Edmund scientific that I love science. So I was like, Oh my gosh. So all week I had been asking my mom and him, can someone take me to Edmund scientific? I had the science project. I was so happy about. So my brother, I think like had football practice and my mom 
uh, ended up going, spending a, a Saturday with her friends. So it was just he and I at the house. I had no fear because it was during the day. It was a, it was a normal day. And I was, I kept being like, when are we going to Edmund Scientific? When are we going? When are we going? And so I come downstairs kind of ready to go. And he was in his room and he was like, you know, can you come here? And so he was in the bed. And this is the first time where he made me like get on top of him and like kiss him and, and do things that like adults really do. It was like an, a reciprocation of everything. And I was yeah. like, this is, oh my God. I was, this is the only time I felt like super disgusted because I was like up there, like I felt like I was, you know, taking one for the team. And this is a violation. That's when it came because I was like, in order to get a good grade on a project, I have to do this. And so it, that's where I think it, the mental fucked upness, if you will, took its major turn because that's when I started to not do really great in school because I just was like, before I could like really detach the two things. And so when that happened, it just kind of like really fucked me up. Dude, that, I mean, that's what it is. Like you're, you're so spot on when you're thinking about the responsibility that we take on as child abuse survivors, when it's happening, you start looping in all the other people that are going to be affected by you speaking up about something like this. And most of the time it's like totally irrational, but at the time it makes perfect sense. Like in our kid brains, I mean, I thought the same thing. I mean, you're talking about protecting your mom and your family. I thought that if I spoke up that, you know, my family would be in danger. It's the exact same thing. And so we're put in this impossible situation of having to deal with abuse while at the same time managing the relationships of, of the people around us. It's all too familiar. It's all too familiar. And this is so crazy because it's so different, but so familiar. At that age, our brain can't do anything else you know we've at that age i mean you've grown up being taken care of and people telling you what to do and you kind of following these rules and these laws and these systems that people put in place in on kids and at least in my house there wasn't really that freedom to just be so then you do you're like okay i have to make this make sense i have to make this make sense and you're just kind of like throwing noodles against the wall really yeah, we're doing the best we can given the circumstances, right. which I think is why it's so important for people when we reflect on these things. Uh, so many people blame themselves for not operating differently, but we're in fight or flight survival mode and mm. you can't blame yourself for anything that you did at that point in time because no kid is capable of responding. There's no like appropriate response, especially when it's like your parents' lives are at stake in your head. Right. And the thing that's really interesting about that is it didn't feel like fight or flight then because you don't have a choice. So if I went outside and I saw, we live near Bobcats and I saw a, a ravenous Bobcat, right? Yeah. Like that had rabies or something. Like I have a fight or flight. Like I'm like, this is crazy. I'm running back in the house. But as a kid, you don't, in this situation, I would say it didn't seem scary at first for my situation. So my fight or flight was so subconscious, you know, it was just, and you're, you're oddly learning about this along the way, but you don't process it, process it the same as you would as an adult. I know that sounds so crazy to some people, but that's just really how it feels, you know? Yeah. Um, so 
I'll tell you, one of the craziest parts of this entire story is that when it stopped, so the first time that I had ejaculated while he was giving me oral pleasure, that was the last time that the molestation occurred, right? So, but this was like the worst time for me because in my head, I'm like, listen, I did all this for this many years for you to abandon me once I actually get pleasure out of this. This is like the <laughs> fucked up, right? Isn't that like fucked up? Like that is crazy. So I'm like, now I'm mad. Selfish. I'm like, selfish I'm like bitch, yeah. like I did all this. <laughs> and now when it's like, I fixate my brain to find a way to enjoy this. Now you want to bounce. So it was, it was just so crazy. It's so crazy because like, I think that, uh, I think if, if there's one thing I'm like, so I don't want to say embarrassed about definitely not anymore. I think one of the things that I was, I'm trying to find the right adjective. I think one of the things that just bothered me the most is how I tried to seduce him after mm. he stopped. That was like the toughest part for me. Cause I was just like, so fucked up from this situation that now I'm like yearning for it because it was attention that I was getting. And now you, like I said before, you know, when I experienced pleasure from it now you're nothing, but at the same time, that was the point at which I realized that it was toxic because mm. I was 12 years old and I was almost 13 years old. I think I was probably like 13, but, um, so then I realized like, Oh, well, if someone is getting pleasure from something and the other person isn't, and they take, you know, like I was just kind of processing this whole thing, like how this happened. And that's when I realized it was toxic. And it took a year for me to figure out a plan to move out of my house. Wow. And that, I mean, that like shame associated with the, the seduction aspect is, it's so real, man. I mean, I would, I would get boners when I was getting molested too. And I had so much shame associated with that because I thought that that meant that it was okay. Mm -hmm. I thought that that just void all of the weird feelings that I was having and your body betrays you in that way because you, no matter how you feel about the situation, if somebody's touching your dick at that age, you're going to get a boner and facts on facts you know so it's it really and this is similar to what we were just talking about we look back on these scenarios and we're like how did i not do something differently but it's completely natural and normal and i think you're also in this position where you've been conditioned to know where pleasure is coming from in your life and you're also getting like validation and 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 self-worth from this person who albeit this shouldn't be what's happening but that's what your brain is now accustomed to so the seduction is like completely reasonable given the circumstances yeah and it's so interesting i think maybe a little bit ago like i don't know if we were talking about this so this is in my head but there are so many people who are like i would have just done x and i'm like no you wouldn't have <laughs> yeah good There's luck yeah, good luck thinking that way. Because now you're talking as a rational person who's not experiencing the trauma without without the percussions of like your response to what's going on. So um totally. Yeah, it's 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 so wild. It's so wild, man. But like also I wanted to say something that 
you said, and I want to bring this topic up because it's been asked a lot of me on social media, especially TikTok, which I love because it does leave an open forum and it's video and you get to see people's intention in their eyes and you get to, to read it a little bit better than just like a picture that's filtered. Yeah. But so many people ask me, so is that the reason you're gay? And you brought up something that was so profound and that is, you know, you just said, if someone's touching your dick at a young age, you're going to get a boner. And I'm like, I remember being young with girls and I still, you know, when you kiss the girl, you do this thing. I still got a boner. I was like, I'm, you know, it is what it is. This thing didn't like, it was no, it didn't have any bearing on my sexuality. You know, my Mm -hmm. sexuality just not just happened, but I, when I was a teenager, I realized like, oh, like I like being with him better than her, you know? So it's <laughs> yeah. like, but it wasn't, it's not like I had never been with females before. And it was not like I had weren't, I didn't have sex with females after I was molested. Like I was like, it. there was no, I was fast in the sheets, honey. Let me just tell you, but (laughs) 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 you know, so it's just funny. I'm like, no, I'm, I've experienced it. I'm like, no, I I really like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I knew from a young age, but I I'm also a person that's like, well, I got to experience that to make sure. But, um, for sure. I kind of like that. You said that, you know, it's like, it's sex, you know, you don't know, you know, I know, people that have been molested by females, you know, and they're, and they're gay. So it's not like they, it, it's exactly. It's just when people ask that question, they're like, Oh, is that why you get because it was a man? I'm like, no, it happens the other way around too. You know, yeah. but then those same people will be like, well, you don't like women now because they molested you. So you're gay. Like they just find this way of finding a reason that you're gay. And I know most people ask that question out of, really just wanting to know or maybe they have a kid or maybe they're trying to figure out something for themselves Mm -hmm. but i'm like don't make an excuse for my sexuality i think that's the point i'm getting at like this this trauma did not this trauma did not decide for me that i love really hot guys (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) and bears and i'm like i like them all so you know look and i'm a married man and who was married to a really ripped guy and he knows that i like all kinds of men so it's not like but also the other thing that's really interesting just getting into the psychology of it all is i was molested by a black man that literally looks like me and so people were like is that why you like white guys because you're messed up by a black man i'm like no, I'm married to one. It's not to say that I haven't shut it down with black men before. Like, stop <laughs> trying to find reasons. You know, like people try to find these reasons yeah. why you are the way that you are. And I'm like, we've all been through some kind of trauma. It, it doesn't necessarily that this my trauma did not decide my sexuality for me. So I just want to put that out there for people who may have that question. Like, don't try to validate my sexuality from my trauma. I can say for me that that's not the case. That's great, man. And I'm I'm glad you said that. It's TikTok comments are so wild. I mean, social media in general, but particularly on TikTok, you see like the most amplified projection of people's own internal experiences onto the videos that they're watching. And it's very likely that a lot of the people that you're that are commenting these types of things on your pages are like 
maybe thinking that they're gay and they're like not wanting to be gay and they're like well you got molested so that's why it happened to you and it didn't happen to me so i'm straight everyone's just trying to validate themselves through these <laughs> comments and you end up getting these wild um messages from people and and people doubting that you're telling the truth i i get i get that all the time and people saying i'm making this up for clout and you know all these things and i think it's important to just remember that like these are all people trying to figure themselves out and you might be the target of their own insecurities that day but it doesn't mean that you're lying it doesn't mean that you're gay or straight it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them so a, a healthy sort of disassociation from comments is essential because it is brutal out there, man. But at the same time, I'm going to flip the script on you. For me, I like reading them because I just get into the psychology of it all. Because it's just what you said. It's like your comment tells a lot about you, you know, or how, at least a, a lot about how you're feeling in that moment or what you're questioning about yourself or like something that you dealt with. But thinking of you your story you know people think that you're using it for clout because you're not responding in the way that tv shows that a person should respond to being sexually abused by their best friend's dad and you know so they're like wait well how are you so happy well how are you making a joke about this how are you it's like just because he's able to freely speak this and this is how he either copes or deal or have, you know, dealt with it doesn't give you the right to judge <laughs> like his experience and his, and his, and his present, his present, you know, life and how he's like living his life now. You know, I think people just find, totally. they find the avenue to try and reach for maybe clarification for themselves. I think you're absolutely right. Couldn't agree more, man. <laughs> Wild times we're living in. So, um, so how did you get to the point where you decided to move out, and what was that experience like? Yo, let me tell you something. So, I was just like, I gotta get out of here. I was like, I'm like, because I didn't want to be there. I wasn't doing really great in school, and this is coming from somebody. I'm a little. I'm a toot my own horn a little bit. I mean, I made the honor roll. Like I was smart as fuck. Like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. You know, I think. You know, I was, I was really, I was good. Like I had maybe a couple B's on my report card, you know, and most of the time it was because I was talking to somebody and yeah. I wasn't paying attention at that, that day. <laughs> so when I started not getting good grades really consistently, or like if a subject got tough that required me to study, I was like, I was one of, the, one of those kids in school where I'm like, okay, if I pay attention in class, I'm going to be, be fine. And I loved math and I love science. I didn't like reading so much but you know so I I I was like fine if I showed up to class and I participated I was fine it was when I got a little older you know I'm in junior high school now and things are a little bit tougher and now I have to focus outside the classroom I have to really focus at home and so home is not a place where I find focus and peace and so that's when I felt my grades being like bad like I would get like D's and stuff oh my god like, <laughs> I've never cried about that I want to cry about it now because I'm like what the fuck I was getting D's bitch I'm smart so um <laughs> so that's when I realized I was in a toxic environment and that's when I realized that my home was a toxic environment so let me tell you this happened so quick how I was able to like 
get out. My grandmother would always come visit us, just random drive-bys, literally a drive-by. She would probably be on her way from the hairdresser on a Saturday or doing her grocery shopping. And I would always see her car pull around the corner. She would come down the street and I saw her car pull around the corner and I was like, I'm going to get out of this house today. I was like, this, I was like, she is my escape. And so she pulls up and it was like clockwork. My mom, I don't know how my mom just knows that my grandmother pulled down the street, but my mom comes to the door She's like, hey, mom. And my grandmother comes down and she rolls down the windows. And um, she, my mom and her talk over a little bit. And so I walk over to my grandmother's door and I was like, hey, you know, do you mind if I come live with you and pop up? And she was like, why? You know, she was just kind of like, why? And I was like, you know, this is like so bad. Like I should probably get smacked in the face for saying this. But I was like, well, you know, you guys are old now. And <laughs> you probably... <laughs> I'm like, you guys are old and you need somebody young and strong around the house. That's you know, smart. like I just was like, no, my grandmother was born when I was six years old. So at this time she's 73, but she was, she was a whippersnapper. Like she was no, you know, pushover. My grand, my grandfather was very strong, you know, he still was a pastor of the church and they, you know, they were still doing sure. their thing, but being a grandmother, you know, she looked at me like, why are you asking this question? Mm. And so she's like, you know, I'm gonna go talk to your grandfather and, you know, we're going to pray about it. Everything was, you know, we're going to pray about it. Sure. So she went home and then she called to talk to me. She was like, you know, I talked to pop up and I was, she was like, but you have to ask your mother. And I talked to my mom, but my mother never asked. I was just like, you know, I really need to move out. I need to go live with my mom and pop up because, you know, they're old. You know, I use the same thing. But both adults at that time, my grandma, my grandfather, not yet, but both of them at that time gave me that look, like, what is it? And a lot of people would think that your boy, your mom should have really questioned you and why, you know, but my mom has her own backstory that she's never been to therapy for. Right. Mm -hmm. So for her, it could have been a trigger. It could have been something, but anyway, so my my freshman year in high school, like I was, or that summer before my freshman year, I, I like moved out. I was so happy. And then the first night I went to sleep, I went to my room in my grandparents' house. And right before I fell asleep, I was like screaming, crying, just like this, like belting, crying. And my grandparents ran in my room and they, you know, laid hands on me, you know the father's son and the holy spirit you know <laughs> they lay hands on me yeah. in in the bible in biblical times you know one of the things that our grandfather always preached was to be born again and so i gotta go back to a story i love telling stories so back in camp you know it was the first time that i accepted jesus christ as my personal savior and i was like born again right but this night where i was crying in the room and i felt I literally felt a weight being lifted from my soul. Like for me, when people were like, when were you born again? I was like, I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's like the day that I actually started living. Like I actually felt alive. That day. Nothing to do with biblical times, nothing to do with Jesus. You know, you're safe. Safety. And so from that point forward in my life, like I literally became a different human human i wish i could 
help you understand. So I have a son right now and my, my husband and I have kids via surrogacy and I made one of them with my sperm. And so I'm looking at him and Scott is like, oh my gosh, he's just like you. And it's funny because I say to myself and Scott, I'm like, well, he's just like me as an adult. Mm. And I think it's so amazing to, to lick. And I'm not doing this because people would be like, oh, you shouldn't look at your son as you. And I'm like, but in a way, I love seeing the freedom, his freedom of expression, because I didn't have that as a kid. And I'm like, he's able to express like he's so blunt and he tells you how it is like he does not hold his tongue. And as a kid, I did that. But then when I became free, I felt like he feels. So it's almost like this, like, it's almost amazing. Like, sometimes I don't even get mad at him when he says something like sassy. I'm like, well, that's what I would say. Hell yeah, speak the truth. Yeah, but anyway, so I I just like, every time I talk about these things in in my trauma, a lot of different things come to mind because it's just so, there's so much depth to our, individual stories you know Mm -hmm. that i don't think you can ever tap into it all and i think that's what's because there's so much there's so much going on in our brains as a kid like our our brains are growing and now we have to deal with this crazy event that's happening so i agree man we're we're continuously tapping into these experiences and i think that the more we do the easier it becomes or we become more accepting of new experiences and memories popping back into our heads instead of it being something that we really are resisting and trying to suppress. And that sort of openness to have these memories come back, I think, really can expedite the healing process and allow these weights to be lifted. Because, you know, I felt the same way when I when I first spoke up to my mom. I mean, it just a completely new person, like safety, even though I was still worried about a lot of things just knowing that somebody else knew made it so much easier to deal with. But even that initial weight, you know, 26 now, and it's like, that was however many years ago. And it's like, we're still going, you know, Mm. it's an ongoing process. And I feel like trying to rush the end, trying to be done with it just makes it harder to do. (laughs) So Being yeah, open to these healing experiences in whatever forms they present themselves is, is essential for sure. I just think it's so cool that because I never when I when I found you um, on TikTok, I never really cared or even questioned like what your age was because I was like so connected to your ability to articulate your story in many different ways. But I will say, like, knowing that you're 26, I think it's incredible. And congratulations for just being able to to recognize the constant change that's happening and the things that you're still carrying from that experience and the way you deal with it. Because I didn't really go to therapy about it until I was maybe 32. Mm. Um, Not that I hadn't told anyone, but I just think you're doing, like, such a great thing. And just to kind of... I also think was really great that I've noticed, at least as a 43-year-old, is I actually enjoy now learning all of the things that have come from that situation. And, and, and I'm still learning, oh, this is why you're like that. Oh, this is why you respond that way. Holy shit. Like, that's why you acted like that during, during that time. You know, there's so many. Like, I never, not until this podcast, did I correlate 
the time where my grades started to plummet with that scientific experiment that I was talking about. I didn't think about that until today. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and like, and, and it's, it's joyful to me. Whereas, cause it's like healing in a way, because, you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting bad grades. But today I'm like, oh, that's why I was getting bad grades. I was still smart, you know? Yeah, man. Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it. And that's what it is. We're figuring ourselves out. We're like putting this puzzle of ourselves together and figuring out, you know, why we are the way that we are. And Mm -hmm. the the more accepting we can be of ourselves, the easier it is to figure that out. And I I totally agree, man. It's, uh, it's a trip, but it's, it's fun, honestly. And it's, and it's healing. And I also wanted to ask you, like, how did you, because I feel like being a parent now and, and having the experiences that you've had, you know, you've created this environment for your sons that is so authentic and they can be themselves. And I just am curious, like, how has being a parent changed your view of how you used to be and who you were during these experiences? It's interesting. There was definitely a dynamic shift that happened during the process of raising our boys and and they're only four but I did an interview and I was in the UK and there was this incredible woman that was like hey you know can you come in for an interview I'm like absolutely and it was the first time where I actually had a breakdown because I was so fearful that these same things would happen to my kids to the point where I didn't even, not that I didn't want to, I just felt really weird, like washing their private parts. Mm. You know, I was just like, even washing the kids, my kids, but like if I would, I remember being, when they started to be toddlers and they started knowing their body parts, I would force myself to have a washcloth to wash their butts because my hand touching their butt was just, it, it, it was like too triggering. But now, you know, I just kind of like work through that and, and I try to really not make my parental experience, especially from their lens, have anything to do with my experience from my childhood. What I do is I'll fight through it and then I'll go be by myself for a second and I'll like have to think about, you know, how do I work through that? It's so interesting you ask that question because I, <laughs> my kids are crazy. And so to get them to do things sometimes, it has to be a game, you know, because they just don't want to listen. So um, we were walking out of the room. I'm like, Sander, like we have to go. And he's not going. So I, w- I had a, a foam roller and I would just like hit him like like playfully hitting him yeah. to get him to move. He's like, "Why do you keep hitting my butt?" And and my, I freeze up, you know, cuz I'm like, <gasps> you know, but I was like, "Don't freeze up." And I was like, "You know, just keep doing it." So I did it again and then he starts laughing. Like I'm like, "He has no like he's not asking me, "Why did you why are you hitting my butt?" because it feels <laughs> like what are you doing to me? He's just being, you know, funny. And so it's like those moments that I have to like really like unlock anything that's negative going in and and like kick it out yeah it's triggering because it's like you're 
hyper aware of how a child could perceive these events. But I, but I think it just comes back to your intention. You know mm-hmm. that your intention is, is pure and you just want your kids to have the best life possible. So it's like tapping into that. But also the awareness is so key. How, being aware of like, whoa, this really made me feel something in this moment. And instead of being like, no, 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 I'm fine. Everything's fine. Recognizing like, hey, this is an opportunity to heal even more. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked this actually on TikTok about how like, are you? Do you want to have kids after what happened to you? I'm like, fuck yeah, dude! Like, absolutely! <laughs> exactly. Like, I I feel I could not be more prepared to have a child who will not be molested. Like, right. <laughs> just absolutely arm them with everything <laughs> they need to know. And it's something that I I honestly am so looking forward to. It. It's just so it's so funny you say that because. You know, we're two dads and we have two boys, so we have all the same body parts. Right. And so um, it's just funny because last night or the night before, uh, they were like going through where everyone wears to bed. And so Silas was like, Dada, what, is, what, what, are, what are your pajamas? And Scott was like, you know, actually Sander asked, answers the question. He's like, he has a green shirt and underwear. And so... <laughs> And then he was like, Papa, what do you wear to bed? And Sander has all the answers. He's like, mm, he doesn't wear a shirt. And sometimes he wears nothing. Why don't you wear anything to bed? And I'm like, well, guys, you know, sometimes I wear underwear because we all have penises and our penis, you know, they're attached to our scrotum and some people call them balls. And so you got to keep them under control. You know, I'm just like talking, <laughs> yeah. just like, saying how I would talk to an adult and I was like but sometimes like Papa just likes to feel free at night or whatever so then Sanders like I have underwear like you guys because we when we do wear underwear it's boxer briefs so he goes and get his boxer briefs but then like it's almost it's also an opportunity to talk a little bit more about it so I'm like yeah you know you guys get dressed whatever because then Sanders like, <laughs> like every boy's like playing with himself because now he has these box of briefs and now he understands and I was like yeah yeah I was like and nobody gets to touch that except for a b c d e f and g and when they're you know giving you a bath or you know cleaning you or whatever and just like to give them those like little teeny nuggets and I'm like if anybody ever touches you there and they're not allowed to you come tell me right away and it's okay to let me know even if you know and I give them these things yes so yeah. So. I mean, it's like we so many parents are are aggressively trying to prevent their kids from knowing anything about sex or talking about sex in any way. And it's like th- we have to be able to give them the tools to communicate what could be happening to them. And if we th- treat it as this horrible thing because we don't want them to have sex too early, it's like what you risk is a kid. We don't have the words to even articulate and and just sitting them down and letting them know if anything ever happens to you that makes you feel any sort of way or if somebody touches you in this way it's knowing that they're safe and knowing that they can tell you is so essential for every kid yeah i think that man two quick things i hope i can remember both but i just wish that parents would just be like okay talking about sex there was a woman who commented on one of my facebook pictures and she was like Sean had to stop doing your dance workout because my daughter walked in and you were talking about how you have to embrace your sexy and so I'm just like wait a minute instead of taking an opportunity to be like 
as an adult or one day you're going to you're going to love yourself and you're going to feel sexy and like and helping her understand what this is you're going to say we can't do that anymore so that when she starts to have sex she's going to be afraid to tell you about it exactly if anybody in my family hears this they're going to be real mad but i don't care because i'm speaking truth i just remember as a kid parents all parents and aunts and everybody being like y'all need to stop talking about that sex y'all need don't da 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 when most of the women had kids when they were in high school so instead of just being like you guys are gonna want to have sex you're gonna think guys in high school are really attractive and you have these hormones that's gonna want to act on that i don't want you to do it but let's talk about condoms let's talk about how much your private parts are prized possession and talk to me if you feel like you want to have sex with somebody not to say like i mean i have cousins that are were born and i'm very happy for my family members that are here but at the same time stop being afraid to talk about sex because honestly if i was was if someone spoke to me about it earlier no one ever told me if anyone touches you it's okay to tell and if you're afraid to tell me, go to a counselor or go to the police station or go. No one ever told me that because sex was like such a taboo topic when we all got here by doing it. Yeah. Well, my kids didn't, but I jerked <laughs> off in a cup. But it's the same thing. You know, it's just like, yeah, come on. It's such an antiquated way of thinking where like people think that they're protecting their kids by not letting them know anything about this. And it's having the exact opposite effect. And like, we know they're going to do it. So why not just give them the tools to do it safely and let them know that they're they're protected if they ever need to talk about anything. And yeah, it's like come on. I mean, we know stranger danger. Everyone knows stranger danger, but what we don't know is that most of the people that are molesting kids are family members, people that you love and trust. And in, until we can make kids, you know, like that's it's so essential that we create this open line of communication where you can talk to your parents or people that you love about anyone else no matter who it is avoiding that is it's it's just having the polar opposite effect it's crazy <laughs> so true i am just so grateful to have had you on here and i i really am in awe of the, the person that you are and the way that you're able to talk about these experiences and i just wanted to ask you um, what advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point where you're at now the only advice that I have is to let them know that knowing is growing. I think people like us who have been through trauma, but we've also taken the steps to better our minds and better ourselves. I think that a lot of times we put pressure on people saying, you need to go to therapy. You need to do this. You need to do these steps. When I'll tell you a quick story, I can't say who, but I talked to a gentleman about three weeks ago that said, pulled me aside and said, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story on social media because I suppress it so much that I forgot that it happened. Mm -hmm. And this person went to their wife and just started bawling to their wife and said, hey, I just watched Shanti's post and this is the first time that I'm I'm remembering that it happened to me. And that right there is major change. And I know so many people with that's been through, maybe it's not sexual trauma, maybe it's verbal abuse or just grew up in a really 
terrible household and they don't want to think about it because they don't want to revisit the pain. And so you have to, just like meditation, you have to allow it, even if it comes and goes, comes and goes, you have to allow it to be real. You have to know that it happened because then you can start to grow because suppressing and suppressing and suppressing is only going to make it seep out in ways that you don't want, want it to happen. It's just like, I think the book, a telltale heart, like the, the body was chopped up under the floor and the killer thought that the heart was beating when it was dead. It was like, you, you pushed it down so much. You're creating, you're subconsciously creating these things that don't need to be there. So just like, just know that it happened. Like the first step is just knowing that it happened. You have your one step to growth. And then hopefully you'll find the power and strength to go to the next level to maybe speak about it or meditate about it or pray about it or tell a best friend or something. But um, knowing is growing. I love it, man. That was so well said. And I completely agree. And, you know, and you also mentioned therapy. The therapy was pretty influential for you for this healing process as well. Oh man, like there's no way I would be able to talk about this. Like I talk about it without therapy. It was therapy is so fun. I think people find therapy to be painful because it brings up times that maybe we're not, we're less than positive. Um, but I'm also a person that loves to cry. Like I actually love the feeling of doing it because it just released. I mean, like when my tears come out, people say when you're sweat, it's your fat crying. When I cry from emotions, I'm like, I am getting out the toxins in my emotional bucket. Right. So yes. I think that's, I think people are just so afraid of it, but it's actually really fun. It's like, I forget what game that is when you, you know, you get those games where you have like a definition on one side and a word. It's like, you know, where you can connect the dots uh -huh. some way, but it's like, you'll think of something and it'll connect to your life. And you're like, holy shit. Like the reason why I snapped on my husband because he just gave me a nice pat on the butt was because I was molested. Not because I'm mad that he thinks I'm hot. You know, like that's, <laughs> you know, that's what I used to do when Scott used to come up right. and surprise me. I'm like, but now I'm like, you can touch this ass all you want, bitch. You know, like, it's just like, it's those things. And it's really fun. Even like when I post pictures of my rear end, because number one, it's great. And number two, <laughs> like I was so afraid of it for so long. You know, I gained weight at one point. I had to stretch marks. That's the first place where, you know, molestation, that was the inception of my molestation events, you know, and now I'm like, I'm going to show it like this thing actually gives me power and has a lot of power, yeah. you know? So it's just like, it's, it, therapy can be so fun because you start to figure things out. You start to grow from it and it's not as painful anymore. It mm -hmm. becomes part of the fuel for you to move on. Knowing is growing. Absolutely love it. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, man. It was a really a pleasure talking to you and I uh, am, am really looking forward to continuing to follow your journey and uh, just grateful to know you. You are my guy. When I come to Venice, we are hanging out. I don't care if it's for 10 minutes. I got to see that amazing smile in person. I got to get a <laughs> hug and we got to laugh about some shit. I can't <laughs> wait, man. We'll do it soon. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Oh, thank you, man. I'm so excited.
Thanks for listening to What Happened to You. Be sure to check out Sean's podcast, Trust and Believe, with Sean T. I had an awesome time doing his podcast, and check out his socials, too. He's got some really amazing content, and all of it will be linked in the description. See you in the next one.